Hey guys, today's show is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. Let me tell you about this amazing hotel booking app, Hotel Tonight. It's an app that helps you find amazing hotel deals at the very last minute. It's perfect for a spontaneous getaway or indulging in a little staycation. Who doesn't need a little staycation these days? All it takes is 10 seconds, three taps, and a swipe. So what are you waiting for? Get in on these killer last-minute deals and download the Hotel Tonight app right now. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRigger.com and joining me in the studio... You just got off a red eye from Wakanda. It's Andy Greenwald! They don't have red eyes in Wakanda. They have the technology that can allow interstellar travel, man. (laughs) Is that true? Yeah. We're talking about the Black Panther trailer that just dropped. Here's my review of the Black Panther trailer. You have my money. Great. Yeah. You're done. You, you, I'm already there. Wow. Where do I buy tickets? Terrific. Um, no, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. And, uh, Andy, we had a couple – uh, this this podcast episode, a little bit truncated because I'm in the middle of doing the NBA preview Palooza today. This is a busy day and week for young Chris Ryan, media lord. On um, basically any platform you can receive <laughs> video, Twitter, Periscope, Facebook, YouTube. You can find it all on TheRinger.com. You can find it all on our various social feeds. We are doing a two-day NBA preview video festival with, like, fake docs, conference previews, conference power rankings, team previews – Arguments, conversations, fake courtroom dramas. So, can I find any content on Peach? Yeah, yeah. Good. I have a really cool Bella Hadid meme. That oh, <laughs> it's quiet for you. Perfect. It's quiet for you, Andy. Um, so that's happening. And by the way, we're doing a live episode of the Watch later today yeah. on to, on what on video. I don't on even video, understand. Possibly with Roy Hibbert. Possibly. <laughs> yeah. Frankly. I think we should be honest with our listeners. Every episode of this podcast over the last five years has potentially been with Roy Hibbert. Yes. It's just it's, that— I mean, like, anything you do in your life could also possibly feature Roy Hibbert. It is in the realm of possibility. It's just that what we've been told, the odds are better <laughs> yes. for our show today, later yes. today. Uh, a couple of other things. Um, on Wednesday night at Largo in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. I will be participating in a live Rewatchables podcast mm-hmm. with El Jefe, Riverboat Billy Simmons— <laughs> Go on. Shay Serrano and Jason Concepcion were doing Face Off. It should be very funny. Bill will also be doing a live mailbag with, with folks in the nice. audience. Can, so can please buy tickets at the Largo website if can you want to come to that. Can I jump in on that? Mm-hmm. I won't be participating, but I will be in the building. Yeah. And so it's like Andy, it's a higher probability that Andy would be a part of it than Roy Hibbert. Honestly, from what I gather from my team, that's not the case. From your your management team? On Wednesday, I'm told Roy Hibbert has the inside track to be part of the rewatchables. Even though I will be – here's the thing. I will go to Largo on Wednesday wearing tearaway pants. Like if I am called, I am ready with the takes. Good. Because I don't want to say anything out of turn, but I had my – my rewatchables debut recently. And damn, it was a fine one. It, it, I don't know when that's going to post. But I think it's was... going up next week. Andy, I'll, t- I'll say it. Me, Andy, and Bill did re- rewatchables for The Fugitive. That was fun. So uh, get your Devin Mc- McGregor swag. Get it on now. <laughs> get your get your uh, Provasic re-upped. <laughs> one other thing we should mention for the listeners in Los Angeles area. I was going to say the Los Angeles Basin. <laughs> that's not a thing. <laughs> it's very dry here. Um, Shea Serrano, the most famous man in the universe. His new book is out. I think people know about that from social media, basketball, and other things. I'm sure you've all bought five copies by now. But he's going to be here, not just for the Rewatchables event, right? But he is going to be doing an event with you at your favorite store in Hollywood, Urban Outfitters. I love Urban Outfitters. It's where I get all my T-shirts. And that's on uh, – when is that? Tell the people. That's on Tuesday at 6 p.m. at the Urban Outfitters 
in Hollywood. I think it's it's I don't I can't remember if that's Ivar. It's it's in the basin. It's like this. Yeah, it's around there. It's just so you know. So there. Um, it's in the basin. Greenwald. We got to talk TV, Chris. After yeah. after getting called out on the carpet by Sam Esmail on we, Thursday's show. We were chastised. Where he was like, I want you guys to go back to your roots and talk about television. Here's the thing. Andy and I, we like to just talk about all sorts of different stuff. But it's a, it's a sign of how TV has changed that there are not that many monocultural shows mm-hmm. where we are like, we can guarantee that all of our listeners mm-hmm. are definitely going to watch this thing. Week to week to week. Yeah. So we try to spread, spread it around a little bit. But... but we may have spread things a little thin. And we – I love talking about television with you, man. And I'm really excited to talk about Mindhunter. I, I want to talk about Mindhunter too. I, I'm, it was very fun. And, we, and, I, and you know, we've been, we've been uh, tweeting about this a little bit and talking about it on the show. Thursday's show of this week is going to be the book club pod, so you have a little bit of time to catch up with George Pelicanos' Sweet Forever. But we are also going to talk some, some, of, deuce. some of the deuce on Thursday as well because that's Pelicanos' show. So that means we're going to watch. I'm staring at Chris in the eyes right now. I see the fear. Sometime between his many yeah. social events this week, he's going to catch up on the deuce because we, we owe it to ourselves and our listeners to catch up yeah, on TV. Absolutely. But, but it was very fun to have a show debut uh, on Friday yep. and then to just to get right into it. And you and I were talking about this yesterday, Chris, not in the presence of microphones, weirdly in the presence of Roy Hibbert, but that's neither here nor there. We were talking about this yesterday that one of the strangely, one of the strange upsides of this era of just flood level television mm-hmm. is that uh, Mindhunter dropped on Friday, a new show brought to us from the from the from the Mind Grapes, from the Mind Vintner, <laughs> David Fincher. I know nothing about it, and I yeah. mean I know the trailer. We had talked about it. We were excited about it. But what I mean is. I don't even know if people liked it or not. I, yeah. I saw no reviews because there were so many other things happening Allison last week. wrote a review on The Ringer, and I think it's fair to say that she had somewhat measured. Mm. Uh, she, I, mean, I think she was she praised its production values mm. and Fincher's camera, you know, to the, the direction. But I think she was like not sure what this is just yet. And it, it, um, it she talked a lot about the sort of history of serial killer shows and the fascination. With serial killers, we'll have to have Allison on to talk about it in a couple of weeks. But we're gonna do we're gonna talk about the first three episodes. Yeah. Today. So so this is one of those things where we're, it's kind of a palette, a table setter. We are going to talk about the first three episodes. I don't think the conversation because there's so much more show to come. I think you're safe if you just kind of want a sense of whether you want to watch the show or not. And I and, and if you just want a quick uh, Siskel and Ebert, I think we both say yeah. Two thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs up. And I and those are just my thumbs. Yeah, yeah. I've got four over <laughs> yeah. here. Um, I see you over there, Roy. You can put your thumbs down. Um, I was really impressed and actually surprised by the show because yeah. the pilot, and this is one of those things, you know, Netflix is designed for you to keep going past the pilot. The pilot was kind of what I thought it was going to be, which is it felt real, real piloty. And it felt at times like a perfectly serviceable script and idea that was elevated by David Fincher's direction and by the choices he was making. I urge you to go to keep going because the show that this at least through three episodes that Mindhunter is proving to be that it is interested in being is a much better show than that first episode led me to believe I think that it just makes some really smart and interesting and it's it might be a surprising word to use but some compassionate choices the fear that I had going into it um outside of maybe this is just another, you know, bingy mediocrity, is that it was going to revel in the darkness in a way that 
can get you eyeballs, can get you ratings, can get you shock value, and really not leave you much in the way of um, entertainment or humanity if you, if that's not your thing. Because you know, I think you, I think you may be you were maybe alluding to this. Like there are people who are just they like that serial killer stuff. Yeah, they like that stuff, and not that they like the killing, but anything in the realm of of that of, of studying that kind of psychology is compelling to some audience yes. members. I am not that audience, and yet, and we can get into it in a minute after after you take those thumbs down and, and, and tell me what you think. Um, I, I I was really gratified by the show. I was really impressed by it. Yeah. So a couple of things that just jumped off, jumped out at me right off the bat is um, obviously superficially the comparison that people are going to make is to Zodiac, which is arguably Fincher's finest film mm-hmm. and one of the best films of the 21st century. It's my favorite film when we did the 25, mm-hmm. uh, to our top 25 of the last 17 years. Um, but the film in Fincher's catalog that this reminds me of is actually his first. It's seven. Um, it's a return to this... You're forgetting about Alien 3, my friend. Oh, that's right. So it's a second film. So the film that this is most reminding me of is actually seven. It's a, it's his second movie, the one with uh, the one with Brad Pitt. It's like, obviously, people know what seven is, but it's this fascination with evil uh, and with... I don't know if you say depravity, but it, Fincher clearly has a deep interest in what drives people to do the things they do mm-hmm. and whether or not those things are uh, societal or ingrained inside of us somehow. Mm-hmm. And that is essentially the question that this show is asking. Strangely, with a lot of these period shows that came out after Mad Men, when, when like Mad Men came out and then people are like, wouldn't it be cool if we sent a show? And I find that um, they don't actually resonate as much now. I think that it's cool to see these period pieces, but there's not as much resonance as Mad Men had in terms of Mad Men like really had these incredibly timeless human themes that I mm-hmm. think transcended when it was set. And you could watch and be like, oh, it's so cool. They're, like they have a Kodak thing. But, but, it was, but it was about us. Yeah, it was about people. You know, I think that what Mindhunter has been making me feel like is the questions about not being able to understand the world around you and looking for answers mm-hmm. – are very relevant right now, mm-hmm. you know? And um, the questions about why would someone do something like this and what are the what are the trends and the developments in society and then the world that are making people do? And that, that first episode is very, it's a little dry, but one of the, the, the thesis statements it makes is, and, and one of the really chilling things it's, it talks about is this idea of like, you know, around the time of Manson and, and all these things and, and, all these serial killers that start popping up, violence between strangers with no explanation. Mm-hmm. And, that you know, the star of the show is Jonathan Groff, and he plays um, uh, an FBI agent named Holden Ford. Mm-hmm. And they he goes to a bar with a professor who teaches criminology who's been lecturing at Quantico. And they have this conversation, and it's very, like, expository. They, like, definitely do not have any small talk. They're just talking about mm-hmm. stuff to set it up. But they go through some of the things that have happened in America, Watergate, uh, presidential assassination, all these things that are making people feel like they can't trust the institutions around them and how society is basically deteriorating around them. And I found that very resonant. Yeah. The the idea of something fraying, the social contract, the social fabric that binds us. And even beyond that, maybe not even fraying, but the idea that – and this is something that is extremely relevant – the idea that that can't happen, not just that can't happen here, although I mean that uh, I mean to reference that as well. But the idea that, well, no one could possibly do that. No one would actually just go around and 
kill someone's dog or, right. or worse, right. far worse, as the show reveals. But in fact, they can and, and they can and would and do. Um, that is truly horrifying, and, and that's where the show lives. The show makes a number of really, really smart choices in interrogating that idea that I was very impressed with. The number one thing that the show did that I was very impressed with uh, is right at the top of the call sheet. You mentioned it. It's Jonathan Groff. Jonathan Groff is a terrific performer and actor. Um, He is a superhero in my home because he is the voice of Kristoff from Frozen. Uh, He's a superhero in many people's homes because he was um, King George III in Hamilton. Uh, He's also the star of Looking, a really criminally underrated and underappreciated HBO show. Um, He's kind of... You know he can he can sing he can act he can he can be a Disney character he can do a lot of things he is not anyone's first choice I don't think or the first choice that you would think of for a dark investigation of the human psyche directed by David Fincher which is precisely what makes him so terrific right he is so he's charming he's pleasant he's completely and this is joked about often in the show he's completely white white bread kind of a, kind of a straight guy. Mm-hmm. Which is itself ironic because he is very much an out man in the world and yes. an out actor, um, which adds another layer to this. He, what I appreciate so much about his performance and him as a you know him in, as an actor and, and a celebrity in the world is he is always genuine to himself in his performances. Yes, and there is no attempt in this to be anything other than the Jonathan Groff that he is it, when he's playing, whether yeah. he's playing uh, a young gay video game developer in San Francisco or he's playing a straight G-man right. in this. I find it fascinating and really exciting to watch him in this world and take it one step further. He is not afraid of this and neither is the show afraid of suggesting that he is eminently corruptible. Yeah, I really appreciate in very subtle ways, and this was a theme in Zodiac as well, this idea of as the characters on the show are talking about sociopaths, what does it mean to be a sociopath? How do you become one? How do you? How does that? Um, how is that articulated? That they're sounding a little sociopathy themselves. I was chatting with Cam uh, Cameron Collins this weekend about the show, and he said something. I'm just going to paraphrase because I can't remember the exact thing that he said to me, but he was basically like Fincher likes like basically loves to ruin choir boys. He sure. loves to take okay, yeah. people who start out with an ideal, an idealistic beginning. And often those people are driven by like pretty naked ambition. There's a lot of similarities between Groff's Holden and Jesse Eisenberg's Mark Zuckerberg in the mm-hmm. social network in terms of I'm basically ambitious. I'm going sideways in my career. I want to like, you know, he mm-hmm. keeps taking on work. He's going to teach all this stuff. And they, but they have the, essentially they have an idea. What if you could connect people? What if we could understand mm-hmm. more about these people we're hunting? I mean, the most chilling line it's in the trailer as well is when Holden's boss says to him, "We're not here to understand them. We're here to electrocute them." Mm-hmm. And that was the understanding of of criminals back then, and to some extent, it still is. I mean, um, but this idea that you could solve crimes, that you could maybe even detect crimes before they happen if you had a degree of empathy for the people committing them, Mm -hmm. and not just for your run-of-the-mill purse snatcher, but for people committing the most grotesque crimes you could imagine, and what you must do to your brain. And you take a guy, because they're talking about the FBI was all accountants and lawyers at that time. And he's like, and he's like, yeah, we're not even getting the the lawyers anymore, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you take people who are already like, my shirts are crisp, my shoes look like this. I have one pair of brown shoes and one pair of black shoes, and you put them 
into the darkest reaches of the human experience, interesting stuff's going to happen. Like Twin Peaks. That's what Twin Peaks is yeah, about. right, exactly. Um, okay, th- a couple other things that I'm very impressed with the show. The show doesn't shy away from some very basic TV things, which I truly appreciate. There, There is a version of this show where the powers that be or the people involved are like, let's subvert the idea of a of a buddy cop thing. Yeah. Let's run away from it. Let's insert friction in, a, in that way. And I'm sure there's friction to come because it is a serialized TV show. But the relationship between uh, Holden and Tench, who's played his partner in this, uh, who's played by, what's his name, Holt McElhaney? Yeah. Who is terrific. Um, it is pleasurable to watch these guys. There is there the show has montages of them waking up in mon- in in, in uh, motels and drinking bad coffee and eating corn dogs you know because they're traveling teaching police departments how to uh, liaising with police departments about how to deal with with criminals and it it steers right into some things that hit our pleasure centers about TV or movies or detective fiction about basically buddy cops you know I appreciate that I appreciate that it didn't run away from that that it allows that humanity in. It does some really interesting things, too, with Holden's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. The Hannah girlfriend Gross, character, yeah. Hannah Gross, great young actor who I know is Canadian because of the way she said about in the third episode, yeah. um, does much more and is accomplishing much more than just being the sounding board for Holden as he treads into the darkness. Yeah. And, uh, you know, one thing that I always uh, – it's been a hallmark of sort of, of, of prestige television pretty much since – at least since you and I have been doing this podcast, but before that, is um, – Great shows have great bullpens, mm-hmm. and uh, you know Breaking Bad famously, you know Pinkman comes in mm-hmm. towards, towards the I think the end of the first episode. He's in the uh, yeah. It's not, they're, they're, you know Omar shows up three episodes into the first season sure. of The Wire. It shows um, this show really goes up a notch when Cameron Britton gets on screen, and that dude plays this guy named Edmund Kemper, who is the co-ed killer the co-ed killer and they go start interviewing this guy at a, a prison outside of sacramento i think Vac- vacaville calville um, yeah calville whatever it's called vacaville um you know we've definitely gotten the lector treatment over the years we all know what it's like okay you're gonna make this guy so charming i wouldn't call him charming per se but it is such an, an interesting rendering of mm-hmm. this character and, um, you know, you and I have watched a lot of interrogation scenes going all the way back to Homicide Life on the Street. The, the, the interplay between mm-hmm. the characters uh, in the conversations that, um, that Tench and Holden have with Kemper, because he, Kemper, is an aficionado of cop fiction, mm-hmm. of, of TV shows and books. It's and how he learned Joseph how to avoid Wamba, capture. And, of course. And he's saying all the things they want to hear. Mm-hmm. And yet they know that, but they are tantalized by the fact that this guy is basically articulating Mm -hmm. these theories that they have. Mm -hmm. And just on a performance level. Unbelievable. The things that this guy is responsible for, you know, by all accounts, you you just don't – you shouldn't really be like – you you are like fascinated by this guy, and you are like, let's just hang out and eat egg salad sandwiches. You you have to – The part where he's like, pizza. That's an amazing scene. (laughs) He's – that's a star making turn, and one of those star making turns where I'm like, I don't know what else this guy can do because he's six foot seven yeah. and is playing a psychopath. Yeah. But oh my god, he's incredible on the show, and and those scenes just. Hopefully, l- he'll show up as like a lawyer on Billions or something. You know, like just like the, just, just just to keep it. <laughs> well, no, because that's what the the Yellow King guy from True Detective oh, right. season one is is like a lawyer. I'm just like, hopefully, everybody will have like a second run on like Billions is what Coupleman's waiting on, with Brian. open arms. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I I think that those scenes in particular highlight what's so 
what's so impressive about the show because obviously Holden and Tench are going on these interviews. They're desperate to find out something about killing, about mm-hmm. crime, about America and these things. And, and if you if you aren't interested in finding those things out too as an audience member – it might be a challenge. But what the show does, and particularly what those scenes do, is make their quest universal. Because what happens in those scenes is you realize instantly, the first time that, that Groff sits down with him, how hungry he is, and by extension we are, to normalize anyone we meet. We all want to see humanity That's in his people whole philosophy, when, when we yeah. are face-to-face. Yeah. It is, you know, and this is also very relevant to who we are as a nation and as a world today. Like, it is very easy to demonize huge swaths of people it's also very easy to demonize demons. Yeah. But when you sit down with someone, he doesn't want this person to be ranting and raving and Charlie Manson spitting on him. And he wants someone who he can talk to. But it's so fascinating to watch when he tries to lo- like uh, connect with Kemper by talking about his, his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And then Kemper starts connecting with him. By suggesting and, other orifices yeah, he should and explore. It's just like, this is like, this is what happens, man. You're talking to somebody who yeah. killed his mother in a very grotesque way, like, you sure yeah. you want to be talking about, and that's what, that's what Tench says to him. He's like, don't talk to him about your girlfriend. Yeah. Like, you're not here to make friends with this guy. I, one thing that I found, I just want to, before we, we move on to other things, that one thing that I, I found deeply disturbing about the show, and I'm, I'm still shaken up about it, which is that um, Holt McCallany's character, Bill Tench, says that he's 44 years old. <laughs> now, maybe this is the most period part of the show. Uh-huh. That if you were smoking that much and doing those long haul flights on Pan Am, and those uncomfortable those guys seats, took care of themselves. Yeah. So I, that's what I'm hoping. Not like you and me. Because here's what I'm saying, Chris. If that's our future in four years, and he's a terrific actor, you know, but he looks, he looks a little older a little now. Rough. To be fair, and I'm saying this not to not to ding on him as a performer, he is 54 years old. The actor. So they had to know what they were doing when he was just like, I mean, what if he had turned to told him he's just like, I'm going to be 36 next year, bro. That's there's the, I got to go golfing. One of the famous ones of those is like uh, the assassination of Jesse James trailer. Yeah. Where like the guy's doing the voiceover from the from the book. I don't know. Did Ron Chernow write that book? I don't even know what book they based it off. You of. can just assume Ron Chernow wrote yeah, any and, historical uh, it's book. It's like, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it. I think it's like at 27. Or, yeah. I think he's supposed to be like 27. Maybe he's 37. Either yeah. way, Brad Pitt doesn't look either of those ages no. in that movie. And there's just like, I think they're like, you know, when he was 28 years old or something like that. But it, but with Brad Pitt, I'm like, I would trade what I look like at 28 for what Brad Pitt looks no like at 48. But no one told Brad Pitt that. And he was like, cool, I'm going to be Jesse James. I'm going to lose like 10 pounds and like never put suntan lotion on. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's a little different. Um Anything else you wanted to highlight from this? I mean, we're three episodes in. Oh, I know what I was going to say. One of the things that I've sort of been, hey, I was just like a little bit of uh, fatigue with the beginnings of shows as they kind of lay there, mm-hmm. lay out the blueprint the of here's this pot, and then we're going to have a beep. This feels more like a long-form New Yorker story. Hmm. It feels like a series of reported vignettes mm-hmm. about this well, it is, field. It is based on a nonfiction yeah, book. Yeah, and I, I, I like the fact that it did. the first episode did not end with... And we, we, you know, we must stop him before he kills again. That's a great point. There is no, I mean, as you get into the second and third episode, sure. there, there there is there's some development of that. Yeah. There, there's a character that we're we're watching that we don't really understand how he connects to the plot. Right. But it, but you know, it's done artfully. It's not foregrounded. That's the thing. I mean, it, it, when we go back to talking about TV, we often go back to saying things like this, which is, it is not rocket science. TV is complicated and difficult and heavy lifting, but. 
almost all of it's not been done before. You just kind of got to hide the ball. Yeah. You know, you have to do it artfully or engage people. And so it's doing all that stuff. And, you know, I say that the girlfriend character isn't just a girlfriend character, but sometimes she is. Sometimes she does. You know, there's a boss who get, who blows his top at the insubordination and then lets them do it. You know, I mean, there there are tropes, but there are tropes for a reason. Yeah. It helps make something that is doing some interesting work. It helps make it entertaining and familiar feeling. And I and I and I for one am here for the show. I will watch the rest of it. Speaking of uh, feeling familiar, I mean, we kind of like glossed over the fact that David Fincher directed the first two episodes and. Great point. Like he did a real good job. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, here's the thing, uh, you know. I and I did say like, oh, people are comparing it to Zodiac, but it feels more like Seven. I think maybe psychologically and and sort of um, thematically, it feels like Seven. Uh, it's so great to see him return to some of the Northern California stuff that he did in Zodiac, but also the you know it's vaguely the time period. This is set a little bit later set, set in than Zodiac, the, I believe. Seventy-seven. Yeah. Um, the amount of work that must have gone into cigarette packets, oh, yeah. Hertz car rental logos, airline interiors of like Dude. whatever, TWA it, or Eastern yeah. or Pan Am or whatever they're flying. Um, every little thing, the beers that they're drinking, the neon signs that are up in the bars Did, where they go, uh, the cars. Finding 30 guys that look like Holt McElhaney. <laughs> <laughs> young 30-year-olds who look yeah. like that. Um, yeah, there are a lot of exteriors. I mean, ex- remember we, Mad Men famously had no uh, no on-location shots. It was all on no money yes. because, because it would have been expensive yeah. because anytime you have to shoot something outside, and this is we talked about this with Pelicanos when we had him on to talk about the deuce, uh, you have to dress not a set but yeah. the world to look like yeah. it, and there's a lot of money on this show. Yeah, um, But smart money. I yeah. think that he does a lot of stuff that – you know, when they're going to the elevator with their boxes and talking heads, psycho killers playing mm-hmm. and it's just sets everything up and everything about what like he's got a playboy in his box. And that's great. Holden does not. Um, and he puts his down and yeah. Holden does not. How yeah. about how about the way but little things, the way they're lacing in his backstory, like his home life, which yes. we don't see, but we know that there's something up. Yeah. He, here, if I was going to point to one detail that makes me appreciate the show, uh, anytime they are at Quantico, anytime they leave the building you hear rapid-fire machine gun clips in the background mm-hmm. because of people doing target practice or whatever. That is a tiny detail that says so much about the show and the world and the vibe they're creating, and it's impressive that they do it. Quick pivot here. I want to talk to you. Put on, put on your tech visor for a second because let's have, let's have uh, Andy's Luddite Corner for a second okay. on the show. Um, I think you know because I like to brag about myself. I got a new TV recently. Oh, yeah. And I had a, what I believed to be a perfectly serviceable Samsung 40-inch TV. Uh-huh. Was a, the screen was flat. Do you know about this? Yeah, I heard about that. Uh, first, first, flat, first flatty I ever got. Is that what they call them? Flatties? <laughs> um, you should get it, like, just pick up some office, some hours at Best Buy this Christmas. This is, uh, I, I actually auditioned for Geek Squad, and they There's told little, me. a uh, little flatty, about 40 inches flatty. You know, they told me that uh, Geek Squad is actually not audition-based. <laughs> <laughs> which was unfortunate because I, I did my own hair and makeup. I okay. had some monologues yeah. prepared. Um, the I, I got a TV in, in 2011, and then I was like, I'm good. I'm fine. New York apartment. You know, this is what I have space for. And then to the point where people would come over to my home. Be like small TV. Or especially here. I'm like, okay, let's not make yeah. this about size. But they were like, you're a television critic. What, yeah. are, you, what are you doing? Um, so I got a new TV. Not not too much bigger. Do you know Sean Fennessy's TV is actually the Jumbotron at Dodger Stadium? I, I do know that because he <laughs> often sets up in my backyard just to watch an episode of Survivor. 
Um, so I got this TV. Yeah. I didn't get top, top, top of the line. But I want to get close because, you know, I'm a every seven years guy for my flatties. So this one does have a couple, throw a couple adjectives at you. Ultra HD. Uh-huh. 4K. You motion smoothing out there? Well, this is what I want to talk to you about. I turn all that shit off. Yeah. But it, but it comes back. What I want to ask you, and actually what I'm doing here is crowdsourcing. Are you literally spending 10 minutes to ask me how to turn off? No, I'm just hoping someone will tweet it at me. I'm sure. I, listen. Yeah. I turned off. Listen. Listen, guys. <laughs> I know all about your soap opera effect. I turned that shit off. But when I was watching David Fincher's Mindhunter, this seems relevant on my new television set, uh, in the ultra whatever, the 4K setting that yeah. you can do on Netflix, it was super soap opera right. at times when, when they ran or the camera moved quickly. So what I want to know is, I have a two-part two question. Is that just endemic? Is that just part of what 4K Ultra HD is? Can you turn it off in the moment? Or this is the Wild West, man. This is the thing I really wanted to say. Today on Twitter, our buddy Sam Esmail mm. was part of a, a longer chain, Twitter chain with like James Gunn and Reed Morano, Emmy winner for The Handmaid's Tale, basically being like, someone asked Sam, like, can you hack televisions to, to make motion smoothing? Right. Just ban it. Uh-huh. No directors want this. Right, no. So this is what I'm saying. So what we're all watching, we've talked about how we're all watching different shows at different times, but I feel like we are literally watching things differently because they are appearing differently on our screens. I had to reverse hack myself and watch the third episode of Mindhunter like on my older Apple TV so it would look like a TV so show again. So re- regular, okay. So what are we doing here? Are we supposed to like the version that is ultra? Uh, what are you doing? I have a slightly older flatty. That's embarrassing. Um, that I think is actually, it's, I, but it's bigger. It's pretty big. Um, I don't have an answer for your question because I, I I don't have a lot of control over my television. The remote is just basically like you turn it on, and I like it that way. But I also watch a lot of Netflix. I watch it on my laptop. I me too. That's where yeah. I was going. Which frankly has become part of the experience, which right. is a little odd. I was like staring at the TV wondering how to fix it. And my wife said, talk to the remote control. Oh, talk to Siri? And I was like, well, what should I say to it? She said, just say expert settings. So I was the like, okay. Thing and it was, worked. So I was I went golfing yesterday and I was at the- Boy, uh, this is really now. They were kicking it into Griff, old man the podcast. The clubhouse in the Griffith Park Municipal Court, which yeah. let's just kind of, it's like basically a wing stop. Sure. <laughs> but they had seven TVs, mm-hmm. six of which- were 1999 era Panasonic cubes. Yes. And I was like, holy shit, is this what football looked like in yes. the 90s? Yes. It is wild, man. I was all about that Magnavox life. <laughs> uh, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and we're going to come back and talk about uh, the Black Panther trailer. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by First Leaf. Angular, cassis, opulent. If you aren't familiar with those wine terms, congratulations. Wait a second, I'm familiar with those wine terms because I'm a giant wine dork, as Chris always makes fun of me for being. But look, those are weird words. Maybe you're not comfortable with them. I think you should be more like me, and I know just the people to help you be like that. It's a wine club called First Leaf. It's the only wine club that's based on your personal taste. I just looked over the possibilities for my own First Leaf order, and the stuff that they're sending out to people is seriously, seriously good. Here's how it works. Customize your First Leaf order by selecting the color, the wine regions, and the frequency of your wine shipments. First Leaf will then create an introductory three-pack of wine to get you started. 
This is good stuff they're going to send you. They're not joking around here. And with First Leaf's introductory pack, you will get all three wines for just five bucks each. Normally, these bottles of wine go for $20 each, if not more. And listen, guys, personal Greenwell tip, you got to be spending more than $20 per bottle of wine. Otherwise, you just don't know what you're getting. Come on now. When your bottles arrive, you rate the wine to get personalized selections based on your unique tastes. The more wine you rate, the better your recommendations will be. First Leaf eliminates the middleman and works directly with the world's foremost wineries in France, Italy, and my favorite, Northern California. First Leaf is my favorite new way to rate and buy quality wine. So get in on this now. Get some good wine. To order your three-pack of introductory wine for just 15 bucks, go to tryfirstleaf.com slash watch. That's three bottles of wine for only 15 bucks. You shouldn't even be buying one bottle of wine for 15 bucks, and they're sending you three. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash watch. Experience First Leaf today at tryfirstleaf.com slash watch. Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by Felix Gray. No matter what you do for work, chances are you're staring at your phone or computer a lot. I'll be honest with you guys, I'm staring at one right now as I read this. And let me tell you, our eyes were not made to stare at screens all day. Dryness, migraines, and blurry vision are just a few of the reasons you need to protect your eyes. Now you can look great doing it with a pair of computer glasses from Felix Gray. Felix Gray's lenses are specially designed to filter blue light and eliminate glare from screens, which are the two main culprits behind digital eye strain. Their glasses have blue light filtering technology embedded into the lens, so they remain effective without the telltale yellow tint or color distortion of other blue light filtering glasses. Also, Felix Gray's frames are handcrafted from premium Italian acetate. That's the best kind of acetate that I've ever encountered. This is the same stuff Versace uses. They look great. Everyone can benefit from wearing a pair of Felix Grays. And they're available in both non-prescription and reading lenses, and I hear prescription is coming soon. All orders of Felix Gray lenses are free shipping and free return, so you've got nothing to lose except that annoying eye strain. Give your eyes the break they deserve. Go to felixgrayglasses.com slash watch to try a pair of Felix Gray computer glasses and discover a smarter way to work. That's felixgrayglasses.com slash watch. felixgrayglasses.com slash watch. The acetate is Italian! You know, Greenwald, like, I'm still digging out from under the, you know, postmortems about what went wrong with Blade Runner. What will go wrong with Justice League? Because nothing went wrong with Blade Runner. No, 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 no. But, oh, no, you're doing I'm, a bit? I'm not doing a bit, but, like, all this— Sorry, Roy, come in. <laughs> you're on. It's not—it's just basically, like, more often than not, mm. these blockbusters have problems, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We talked before about how it sounds like, by all accounts, Last Jedi has just, like, kind of sailed through and all mm-hmm. that. But um, right now, from this distance, and I think it opens next spring. I think it comes out next spring. February. Winter. Like, you, does, is, can anything even be wrong with Black Panther? Like, did they, they just nailed—I don't even have much knowledge about the character outside of what I've seen in the movies. But um, they are, like, smashing this. Like, I'm really excited for this. Yeah, they're doing yet a good job. have, like a, like, a high degree of, like— Curiosity. I don't feel like I've the movie was spoiled for me. I I I just I'm so excited for this movie. One of the things that's interesting about the Black Panther phenomenon, because Black Panther has become a much more prominent character in the comic books as well, and Ta-Nehisi Coates is still writing the book um, and doing an incredible job with it, and the character is now much more integral to the Marvel universe than he had been for a long time. Is that it is a it is a very unique and interesting 
world. Mm-hmm. For people who don't know, and they're going to know a lot more about it as, as the movie gets closer, the movie is about the king slash superhero of a uh, fictional African nation called Wakanda that is the most technologically advanced society in the world. Okay. And I think in the comic books now they're saying in the universe. And this is already interesting. <laughs> it's already interesting. Before you add into it, one of the most exciting casts assembled for recent movies, a filmmaker coming off of Fruitvale, Fruitvale Station and Creed, a studio that has all the money and power in the world in Marvel, but desperately needed Ryan Coogler to be the face of this and to basically be in charge. He had more leverage because of the box they had painted themselves into, basically, by saying, you know, this is a, an African-American superhero. We need an African-American. Actually, let me rephrase that. It's an African superhero. Um, and we need, a, we need a black American director to make this movie. And then they didn't have one. Right. So Coogler could walk in and say, okay, but I'm doing it my way. And, right. and he did. So all of that, all of the, all of that is interesting. You know, and, I, and particularly, though, I want to go back to the theme that is going to get underplayed, which is played up in this trailer a little bit. There's kind of a technological utopian angle on this yeah. that is literally worlds away from Marvel's The Punisher coming soon on Netflix, which I, I, you, I could not care less about. But it's a, apparently, by most accounts, pretty good. Fine. Yeah. But that is a character that I've never liked that much anyway, although, there, I mean, there are a couple of comics that did it well, but the character just kills people. Yeah. That's the character, man. On the gritty streets of New York. Right. we kind of seen and done that. Right. So this is cool. I, I, it's exciting. And yeah, and the trailers have been, have been pretty masterful. Side note, I didn't know Justice League was coming out in a month. Oh, yeah. It's coming when out in November. When I we, was wondering about that because I actually was like, I thought this was coming out in 2018. Me too. And we were joking and I was saying, I bet it's never coming out. They're going to keep... I thought it was like next summer and then it was going to be the never-ending trailer. It yeah. was going to get bumped again. It's yeah. coming out in a month. They're giving themselves a month. I, I actually was sort of surprised by I guess it's like a month is a month, like you're going to make your money there anyway. But I was like, man, that's cutting it close to Star Wars. I guess it's not really, but it's 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 still surprising. Has anybody seen this movie? The holiday season is the new uh, summer. I yeah, mean, I guess it, so. We, we summer got, starts in October we now. Got, we, got, we got Thor, Ragnarok. Yeah. We got When's that come the, out? Uh, in a couple weeks, Sheesh. right after Halloween. Wow. I don't know why I said Halloween like that. Halloween. Cheese, my dad used to say cheese steak. And I was like, no, it's cheese steak. One of the things that's cool about Kugler is that you see Fruitvale and you're like, that's really good. Mm-hmm. But And you're like, but what Michael but Jordan really needs is you, a different haircut. And then in the next, and when you see Creed and Creed begins and he's in Tijuana yeah. boxing against a brick wall, you're like, damn, I didn't know he was going to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. And this is the best part about watching filmmakers progress is when they do, when each movie they're like, I got something for you. Mm-hmm. And then when when you see these Black Panther trailers and you're like, this is kind of like what I want these movies to feel like, mm-hmm. where it's like, if you're going to do the like gravity-defying CGI jumping through Times Square and like, you know, going through the floor, you're like, then do, then go for it like this and make it feel electric and clear and understandable and not necessarily like everything is on fire and there's smoke everywhere and it's always at night. There's like a degree of... Um, clarity and um, contrast to this movie that I've seen just in the trailer. And it, it just is really wild to watch Coogler develop as a filmmaker each movie. I, and there's not, you know, like a lot of people take for granted that element of filmmaking. People stall out and make the same movie over and over and over again or make variations on it. And Look, we're not talking about the Noah Baumbach movie this week. I know. I haven't seen that. <laughs> I, I really, you know, I, like, I honestly think that that's not the case for him, even though he thematically might work on similar things. Yeah. I think that we all we do have to be careful about one thing, which is 
even in this trailer, you can tell there's a lot of CGI nonsense punching. Sure. That's but that's because it's a comic course. book movie. That's right. But there wasn't any of that in Blade Runner, which wasn't a comic book movie, but it was still a big budget yeah. blockbuster. There was and a lot of punching in Blade Runner. There was some punching, yeah. you know, for sure. <laughs> and there was some, like, 75-year-old Harrison Ford punching. So I guess you're right. I guess we, all, we have to take the—we always have to take a little bit of the, the poison pill with the—what's what, the metaphor? The spoonful of sugar with the medicine? Yeah, except in this case, the sugar is— Masking some poison. This is sugar, going great. The sugar, yeah. <laughs> this is why I don't write anymore. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is why you only talk extemporaneously with me on a microphone. Okay, uh, let's wrap it up there. So we did Mindhunter. We did Black Panther. We, we, but we're back on TV. We got TV shows to we watch, got, and I'm saying it, it on the mic because. What about The Good Place? You watching The Good Place? I'm watching The Good Place. Good Place is incredible. We got to talk about yeah. that. Um, so we'll do in the coming weeks. You'll, you'll expect to hear more about Mindhunter, Good Place. You're the worst. Andy's going to catch up on Halt, and then the Deuce. Uh, Thursday we're talking The Deuce. Yep. We're talking The Sweet Forever. I believe Joe House will be joining us. Yes, House of Carbs is Joe House, and yeah, a lot of exciting stuff. And by the way, are we like three weeks out from Stranger Things too? Uh, Halloween night. Yeah, kind of interesting. Shout out to Zach Mack. Uh, we will be back on Thursday. Good job, Bransky. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Hotel Tonight. Things change, the weather changes, your mood definitely changes. So why lock yourself into plans that might change? With Hotel Tonight, you don't have to, because you'll get incredible deals on awesome hotels, even at the last minute. Booking on Hotel Tonight gives you the freedom and flexibility to play things by ear, while knowing you'll score a great price and a great place to stay. So download the Hotel Tonight app to find seriously amazing deals now. Do it now! 